0: All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. If you could open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be in the first eight verses of that. And uh, we're in the It's Complicated series talking through things that uh, we really don't want to talk about and preaching about things that we really would rather not preach about. And if you've been here tracking with us, you can kind of uh, see a lot of that, which we've talked through and, and hashed out. Um, if you haven't, jump online and you could, you could check out the podcast of those. Today, we're talking about something that is totally uh, someone else's issue, but not yours this messed up mouth of mine. Um, it was, uh, I can't remember the year, but I was in, I told, told the story to you before, but I was in the parking lot. In, uh, of a Starbucks in Southern California. My family, we were about ready to go to Joshua Tree to do some bouldering and camping and stuff. And we were just having a, just ready to go for that. And I'm super excited, okay? McFadden's, we were born ready to go camping. And we wanted to go do this, and we're super stoked about this. Julie's in the Starbucks getting coffee, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm in this, like, tiny little, you know, uh, just glorified lawnmower of a rental car. It's just a little, like, green eco friendly deal. And we're I'm sitting there I'm like, come on, 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 come on. We got to go to Joshua Tree. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, and waiting, 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 waiting. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to drive up to the front of by the Starbucks that, that I can be right there when Julie gets out. And in my haste to put it in reverse and go backwards, I did look over my shoulder to make sure I wasn't going to hit anybody or anything back behind me. But I just amp the wheel over and I just floor it and just bring the car out like this, which, you know, kind of an Ace Ventura move, just, you know, type of thing to get out of the parking spot. It worked in my head. It didn't work in practice because the front side of the car just goes over this invisible island that was not there before, but it was there all of a sudden. So I hit it and all of a sudden as it, as I just throttle right over this thing, I hear that terrible sound that you hear when a car does something it shouldn't do. And like if you've been in a car accident, you hear things that cars shouldn't be, sounds that haunt you. You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, I'm hearing that scraping across the bottom side of the, this little dorky vehicle. And I just hear. And the first thing I'm thinking is, I totally ripped the gas can't tank off. I'm going to explode. And then that went out of my head real quick. And I just thought, I just totally destroyed this rental cars you know the bottom part of this rental car and that so my first thought was brake so i put up the brake on and the second thing in that millisecond of that moment all of a sudden just out of my mouth just came just like I just, just and all of a sudden, break and then oh and then i realized that my two oldest boys are in the back seat of the car and um, Mike, I think he was, I don't know, first, second, third grade, something like that. He's, he's a lot younger. And I just remember thinking, oh, maybe they didn't hear it. <laughs> maybe that was just in my head. And then all of a sudden, Micah said, uh, Dad, um, did you just say a bad word? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Micah, I, I don't know. It was in my, sometimes things in your head come out of your head, out of your mouth. You know, when you're not, careful and, and that was in my head and it came out of my mouth and, I, and I'm sorry. I, that was just a bad call. All of a sudden, Carson is alerted to this. Like, whoa, something just happened and I didn't catch it. He was back there the whole time, but he's like, what? He's like, what, what happened? What did he say? And, and Micah is just like, Carson, you really shouldn't hear what dad said. <laughs> this was a varsity level word dad used and you should not have heard it. You don't need to hear it. Just know it was an S word. And Carson, all of a sudden, Carson's like, oh, he said stupid. <laughs> Whoa. And he calls him a pastor. <laughs> you know, there was that kind of a moment. Now, you might think of that, and you might go on like, seriously, that, that is not an epic fail for a father to let out an expletive if you run over an invisible island you didn't see before. That's not a big deal. That's Tuesday. I mean, that's like a good day in our house, Right. And to be honest with you, even though profanity isn't something that's been like, oh, man, I just wish I could just dial back the words that I use because it's all over my mouth. Even though that's not my deal, even though profanity isn't something that I utter hardly at all, if at all, when the reality is, is that I actually use my mouth more often, more harmfully, more damaging, just in the way that I say things that are totally G-rated, I say and communicate things to people and people I care about that just rips them apart, tears them apart, and oftentimes I could think that I'm totally legit on that, and that's that's completely fine. That you know I, that was all G-rated, P-rate, PG-rated language that I just used, and yet it did far more damage and far more uh, destruction than me uttering a beep happened in the Starbucks parking lot. This might be your story too. I mean, you, you know what it's like. You've seen as words that you've used. I mean, think about the past year and things that you've said that you wish you could take back. Things that you said when you weren't thinking about it, you weren't, you weren't careful, it just, it happened. Or you came to the end of that conversation where it was a big old fight with you and someone you care about and it's finally coming to a point of resolution and it's finally, we're gonna just walk out of this room, you know, kind of like on the same page. And all of a sudden you said, yeah, but I just gotta say one more thing. And you think it, and you think that it makes sense, and you think, this is important for me to say. And then you say it, and all of a sudden, the thing that took an hour and a half to get to the end of, just goes right back to the beginning. You know what I'm talking about? What would happen like what would happen no matter what's taken place in the previous years of your life or even the previous 6 months of this year of 2015 no matter how you've talked to your spouse no matter how you've talked to your kids your parents your teachers your coworkers your boss whatever what if like the way that the way that we have epic fails and how we talk to each other what if what if the first 6 months look nothing like the last what if the last 6 months from this point to this, this, to christmas what if we actually completely gave over the way that we talked and the words that we used to Jesus. Like we said, okay, you just do what you want to do. What if what if we were that conscientious about what we said? What would happen? I mean imagine that in your marriage, in your relationship, in in your interaction with coworkers, in your interaction with people who really frustrate you. In your interaction with people that that you live with. What what would that look like? How would things be different? In in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 1 through 8, it really lays out a lot of things. And the point of the passage is not our vocabulary, but it really lays out the underpinnings of what we have in our word problem, the problem that we have with our words. And and we're gonna be covering in Isaiah the source of our word problem, the effect of our word problem, then the solution to our word problem. And then we're gonna start talking about three ways that we can actually start to see what would happen if we did this that actually might have an impact on on the rest of this year, maybe even the rest of our life. Okay, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Go ahead and have that in your Bible or on your phone, and we'll be in there for a little bit. Um, Isaiah. This is Isaiah the prophet. He's, he's someone who's speaking, you know, the spokesperson for God. And before he's commissioned to go do that, he's been given a vision. And, and this is like a, a dream on steroids, okay? This is like God, this isn't just like, what did I eat last night? And, and I'm being chased by a boulder like Indiana Jones. This is like a dream that God gives him. And, it's, and this is what's taking place in the dream. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Okay, so right up to this point, he's just like observing. He's taking in all these details. All his sensory like, uh, uh, descriptors are going off the charts like, I, I can't forget this. I got to record this. This is huge. But then all of a sudden, he, he has that moment where the, the focus goes from everything outside of him to himself. And he realizes, wait, I'm standing in the midst of all this crazy stuff happening. This crazy stuff is happening, but I'm here. And then this is his response. Woe to me. I cried, verse 5, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I li- and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is an amazing account. Is, I'm blown away by it because you've got Isaiah who walks into this room thinking everything is totally fine and then he, he meets the actual presence of God, the glory of God and then he realizes things are not fine because, I mean, up against the contrast of everything else in his life, things were totally legit but all of a sudden when he's now here in the presence of God, he realizes the contrast between himself himself and and God and he realized that he's ruined and so the, the the first thing that we need to understand about this is the source of our word problem the source of our word problem is that we're, we're operating with a broken face this doesn't work this is something that that actually has got like serious issues because like you could think ter- like right now if all of you were thinking terrible thoughts about someone in the row that you're sitting next to that's one thing but if you actually turned over and told them hey you're ugly I mean that, that would actually be a big deal because all of a sudden the toxicity that's in the brain or in our thoughts escapes. We're dealing with a broken face. Isaiah, what what boggles my mind with this is that he could have said so many different things. He could have said, I'm in the presence of the holy God. And all of a sudden I'm realizing I do things with my hands that are wrong. I hurt people. I I actually, I've I've done things with these that, that I regret, that I'm full of shame. I'm a man of unclean hands. Or he could have said, man, my thoughts are messed up. They're so far from God. I can't believe I think like this. I'm a man of unclean thoughts. But he doesn't say any of those things. He says, woe to me, I'm ruined because the stuff that comes out of my face is messed up. It's broken. And I, and I didn't see it before as, as bright nor as, as contrasting, as, but now I see God, and that's huge. Jesus' brother, James, wrote, the book of James, and, and he talked about this reality in our life when he said, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth, mouths of horses to make them obey us, we could turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it, it, and is itself set on fire by hell. This is a, a truth that we know, we get this. Because each one of us here, we've seen our words either put us like in a job and position us well or get us fired. Everyone here, we've either had a situation where we've seen words that we've used like make a relationship actually come together and love start or break a relationship apart to the point that we don't talk anymore. There's people here, we haven't talked with family members for years, maybe even decades. Because of the words that were spoken back then. I'll never get over what he said then. Relationships that were destroyed. Yeah, because of actions for sure. But it was the words that surrounded those actions. I can't believe that you said it like this. I can't believe you said that. I'll never get over that. And even though it's Father's Day, we walk in here with wounds that our mothers and our fathers and our grandparents laid unconsciously or consciously upon our hearts and we're limping from the scars tiny little part of the body, and yet it has so much power because this thing right here is broken. Not only is, is the source of our word problem the fact that we are, are operating with a broken face, but also the, the effect of our problem is that it goes from the breaking of our face, the broken aspect of what we say, to breaking others. We actually break other people down by way of what we say. This is something that we, we just consistently do. James, again, c- continues on by saying this all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Now, hold on really quick. This has nothing to do with the message about speech or anything, but let's reread that once again. Have you ever seen this in the Bible? All kinds of animals. This is first century, okay? Ancient world. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. This is like pre-sea world. They're training marine life. I thought that was really cool. All right. All kinds of animals, ber- birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You can train Fido. Go for it. He'll sit. He'll roll over. He'll play dead. But you can't control your speech when you're talking to your mother-in-law. You can control your, your, your cat. Maybe maybe yeah all the cat owners are like nope not even possible but there's no possibility that you can you can your animal the animal that you have that is a pet it does not have the intellect you have it doesn't have the holy spirit that you have and yet your animal is easier to tame than yourself how is that he goes on with the tongue we praise our lord and father and with it we curse human beings who've been made in god's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's like I, I've created you with this ability to communicate such health. Like the words that you say actually could change someone's life. The words that you share with your kids or, or even with your parents. The words that you share to people who don't deserve kindness and yet you do it anyway. That's what I was crafted you for. Not just worship, singing songs up at at slides on a weekend, but actually going out of here and using that mouth to do something amazing. I crafted you for that. And you do that. But then with the rest of the percentage, the balance of your life, you're just like whatever you want. You're shooting from the hip and you're saying whatever you want to say and you're breaking others and you're getting further and further from the creation, the image of God that I put inside of you. It's getting further and further out. In that previous passage, James talks about how our our mouth, we're like breathing hell. I mean, and, and the hellfire, fire and hell, That that imagery that we have of, of eternity, of, of up, you know, throughout life, God is rescuing us. He's aiming to rescue us. And Jesus is the only one who could do that. And then after a person's rescued, there's a new creation that takes place and that carries on into eternity. And if someone comes to the point of the end of their life without that renewal, what we have is, is instead of that new creation happening, we have the fact that no creation could ever take place. And so hell is described as this breaking down. The fire, I mean, like when you, have, you put a log in the fire, it's only a, a period of time before you realize that, that original form is gone and it's destroyed. If, if life is about the image of God being recaptured and re-understood because of what Jesus did in us, hell is this eternity of realizing that that image of God is no longer. It's like we're devoid of it. And James is like, yeah, you might be a Christian destined for an eternity with God, but you know what? The way that you're talking is actually dropping hell everywhere you go. You're, you're, you're not the person that God's created you. The likeness of God isn't in the way that you're communicating. You're bringing people down in such a way that you're absolutely going counterintuitive to what you were actually created to be. I dig this movie. A lot of people fall asleep in this movie, but I dig this movie. Christopher Nolan films are like mind-blowing films. They're just, they really expand your mind, and this is one... Matthew McConaughey, and the whole point of the movie is this, this idea that, that he's on Earth, but he's, he's an astronaut going to search for other worlds because Earth is, being, is falling apart. <clears throat> so he has to leave his little daughters, like nine-year-old daughter, and he has to go out into space, which is not a big problem, except for the fact that space is a big problem. Space And he has to, the further he goes, not only is he getting further and further from his daughter and the communication is less and less easy to happen, but on top of that, the more distant he goes into space, time itself actually warps. So every hour he's over here, his daughter is aging by years to the point that she is as old as he was when he left her at nine. And so the whole film, you're frantically trying to get back home, dude. Get back home. It's a wasted mission. Just get back home to your family. Just be there for your daughter. Why are you out in space? And you have that whole thing going on. Well, the the neat thing about movies is that sometimes when you get, like, the Blu-ray or the DVD, you get to hear the story behind the story. But you also get to hear the story behind the music. Um, Christopher Nolan likes to utilize uh, this guy to his right, which is Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer's a genius. Crazy, but he's a genius. Um, One of the things he he did on the Batman soundtrack was to really convey the image of the, the sense of how messed up and broken and sketchy that the Joker was. He, He took piano strings and took a razor blade and just dragged it across the piano strings and then digitized those and incorporated that into the soundtrack. For this movie, he wanted to give the essence of what Matthew McConaughey's character was experiencing. The further from home he was, he was, the more distant and the more difficult that communication was. So the music, what he did was, he wrote a score. He composed a score for this beginning, and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. The deeper into space Matthew McConaughey's character is, the further into the movie you go, he instructed all these trained musicians who did such a beautiful job at the beginning of the score to do what they weren't supposed to do with their instruments. Instead of playing music through a clarinet, he said, just blow air. Don't even, don't even just, just blow air, just <sighs> And You have an amazingly a cra- a crazy expensive violin. Instead of playing beautiful music on the violin, I want you just to hit it, just to hit that violin. And so as the new movie progresses, the music itself gets more and more corroded, showcasing the fact that Matthew McConaughey is further and further from the place he should be and the essence of get back there. We are the same way in the way that we communicate with one another. We may be a Christian, but when we're at home with who God is in us, that reflects in how we can communicate with one another. The further from him we get, we might still be communicating something, but it's nowhere near what we were designed to. And it gets more and more corroded, less and less like the intended sound. The source of our word problem, we're operating with a broken face. The effect of our word problem is that we break others. Um, Isaiah said that I'm not only a man of unclean lips I'm I'm about a people I'm in a community of people of unclean lips I've grown up with this this is like second nature I I react in anger the way that my dad reacted in anger I react in anger the way that my grandparents did how many of you would say that um, the way that you react verbally in in a crisis situation is more like mom than dad okay alright How many would say it's more like dad than mom? It's weird. Every service, there's a majority of people that say that. How many of you would say, I'm not like my mom or my dad. I'm like totally, uh, yes, I'm a strange duck. My parents don't claim it. Okay, gotcha. All right. All of us bring in inherited things or things that we've written along the way, that this is how I communicate. This is how I solve problems. And yet we forget the fact that this breaks others. The third thing that we see in this passage, and the best thing that we see in this passage is the solution the solution to our word problem. Let's start with verse five. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard of the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. The book of John gives us a behind-the-scenes story to what, who it was that Isaiah was actually talking to and, and experiencing. He was actually talking to and experiencing, hearing the voice of Jesus that he was encountering Jesus. It's Jesus that communicates to him. That basically takes a guy who walked into the scene, everything's fine. All of a sudden I realized, no, everything's not fine. I'm ruined. And then turns from being ruined to say like, there's nothing, there's no hope for me. And there's God right there not saying, no, 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 it's okay. Don't worry about it. He doesn't say that. He says, he basically affirms, yes, you are ruined on your own. You're ruined. But here's the greatest truth. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to bring purity and healing to you that you can't solve by yourself. I'm going to take a coal from the altar where things are atoned for. Things that we've done are covered over, made right. I'm going to take that and I'm actually going to touch it to your lips. I'm going to purify your lips. And then that's that's not the end of the story. Here's the end of the story. The end of the story is this. You came into this room as someone, as a man of unclean lips. You ripped people apart with your words. You gossiped about people. Your words were profane. That's, that's you. That's the real you, It's honest. Let's be completely honest. It's you. But guess what? I, because of what I did for you, you who came in here with as a person of unclean lips, are actually going to exit here as the person who's going to be my lips to the entire world. You're going to be my prophet. I'm going to put my, the people are going to hear my words through the person who came in here, totally disqualified, because I qualify you, because I love you. Jesus is the word. John, the book of John says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The reason that Jesus is called the word is because whenever you write down words, it's like your thoughts getting put into action. And Jesus is like, I am the living, breathing, walking revelation of God to you so you can see it. And so when he talks to the prophet, he says, listen, because I've qualified you, you're going to reflect this truth to everyone you meet. And this is going to be something that you get a chance to do. The word is Jesus. And so because the fact that we are people, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, you have something inside of you. That's not just default emotion. It's not just knee-jerk reactions. You actually have the ability to let your words work. So how do we do that? How do we actually allow our words to work? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to let our words be an amplifier. We need to let our words be an amplifier. Let me show you what I mean. Um, this is Dave's guitar, and so that's why Dave's walking up here. <laughs> Watch and learn, Dave. What is that? Smashing pumpkins, that's right. All right, Dave, see what you can do. and Dave Wilcox. Now, every college student that hasn't really touched a guitar gets onto the floor of their, their college and in their dorm. And all of a sudden they've got a bunch of people who've brought guitars from home that they really don't know how to play well. And so everyone gets a chance to learn like the beginnings of some of their favorite songs. That's all I got. I could play maybe the first couple of bars to Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. That's it. I'm a, true true, true, a two-trick pony. And if you had a guitar, I would go, oh, let me see that. And I'd like... Doo, 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 doo. And you might say, oh, that's Smashing Pumpkins. Play the rest of the song. And I'd say, I can't. That's all I learn. That's what I impress people with. I just kind of like put the guitar down and walk off the stage. Hey, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Now, there's a difference... There's a difference between what Dave did and what I did, right? Dave actually, well, Dave has skill. But here's the thing, when a Christian is an amplifier, when we recognize that we're an amplifier, we recognize that this is the mouthpiece of who we are. Now, this is the same amplifier that both Dave and I used. sounded different when he did it a little bit, but this is the thing. We need to understand that the, 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 this, the, the amazing reality that we have as Christians is not, hey, here's the list of words that you should never say. Don't say these potty words. They're naughty. Don't do it. Don't just avoid saying these things and you're going to be fine. It's better than that. It starts with the gospel. It starts with the fact that the fact that God has done something inside of me. That means that, that I get a chance to experience a reality where there's progress taking place. That, that, that all of a sudden I, I'm actually moving beyond where I once was. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the whole concept of being an amplifier is the reality that that we're not just simply trying to avoid some words. We're recognizing that the things that are coming out of our mouth showcase what God has done inside of us and is doing. Not that it's perfect. It's not. Nobody's is. But we get a chance to be a mouthpiece to everyone else. Here's what we oftentimes do. We have the one, and it's basically this, hey, you know what? I asked Jesus to forgive my sin, and I'm not going to go to hell. And then that's my, that's my Jesus talk. And then the rest of the percentage, the 99% of the rest of my words during a week Or whatever I want to say. It doesn't matter. I'm just just talking. So whatever I say or however I say, it doesn't really matter because on the weekend, I'm going to come back and I'm going to affirm, the one thing I know. That's all I know, but I could say it. Rather, being an amplifier is recognizing that God is doing something deeper and more expansive. There's a sound in my soul that he sustains, that he grows, that he continues even when I fail, my my failure can be an amplifier, that I can communicate about my failure in humility, that that's something that he does inside of me. Jesus said in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So when things come out of your mouth, it's just a reflection of what's on the inside, the work that God's doing, or basically a barometer of where you're at. Don't feel guilty about that. Just recognize that that's a reality. And the cool thing is, is that the good news is that God is working to bring us down the field. He's continuing to move us where he wants us to go, which leads us to the fact that the second way that we actually step this out is not only realizing that our mouth is an amplifier, but that we can actually choose our words, that we can actually let our words be choice, that it's something that, that we actually are intentional about. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And the word for unwholesome isn't, again, isn't don't let any bad words come out of your mouth. It says, don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth. It's the idea of something that, that, that again, is breaking down, like the hell that's coming out of our mouth. Don't let that come out of our mouth that's taking people down and actually destroying or expressing an attitude that's just off. Instead, it's a recognition that I can choose my words differently. The best way that we can be an amplifier, honestly, as growing Christians is to recognize that the way that we hear God's voice and the way that we let that condition our perspective and and which is gonna impact what comes out is by just just totally digging through this word. This is a difficult book. There's so many questions I have about this. But the neat thing I see about it is I get to see God's perspective and his heart, his grace and his truth and his love. And the more that washes over me, the more that actually ekes its way out into the way that i talk and i think this is why it's so cool to hang out with old christians not you know because old old people who have been walking with jesus for decades and have actually been a part of this letting this wash over their hearts because they don't freak out as much they're not they're not people that when problems happen they're like panicking and freaking out why well, because they've had, they've had decades of walking with God's word, hearing it over the life and seeing it apply and the fact that God is sovereign and he's in control and that they could trust him in the midst of the calamity that, that transcends the chaos that's around us. They get to see brokenness. That brokenness is something that as Christians we step into to see wholeness come about. They get to see people that are so ungrateful, but as Christians, we realize that our story is greater than that, and that we can actually express gratitude in the midst. And so, when you're hanging around, and I'm not—I mean, there's some old people that are cranky, old mean people, right? And there's just some 21-year-olds who are cranky, young mean people. I'm talking about people who've actually let God's word renew them and transform them, so that they're seasoned by it, so that they're recognizing that their life is this amazing opportunity to express out what God's calling them into. One of the things that um, I think is important for us to understand, and I wrote this when I was um, studying this, is that Christians aren't hindered as much by uttering a few choice words as they are by the fact that the words they regularly utter rarely reflect any Christ-inspired choice at all. And I'm not talking about profanity here. I'm talking about anything. Oftentimes, it, the big deal is not that a few choice words come out here or there. That, that's I mean, you could take that before the Lord. I'm talking about maybe a, a, a value greater than that and the fact that oftentimes the majority of our speech is not filtered through who we are in Christ. You're Christ-inspired. And because of that, we do damage. Because of that, we harm people. When you first became a Christian, it's almost as if when, when God first starts doing this work in your life, I don't anticipate massive change in the way a person talks. In fact, there's very little that you could say that's going to, would offend me. I've heard, in my office talking to people, I've heard everything. In my life, I've heard everything. On your work sites, you've heard everything. We're not surprised by this stuff. But when a person becomes someone that's actually said, I'm turning my whole body, even my speech over to Jesus, all of a sudden, there's a new sound. And it may start with, but it doesn't stop there. Progress happens. And the longer that you've been engaging with the master behind the guitar, the more you start to sound like him. The more it starts to change in you. That this actually is something that you make a cognitive choice about. Now, Paul is a guy who, in, in, a, in Philippians 3, flip, I think it's Philippians 3.8, Philippians 3.8, Paul uses a word, I mean, Paul uses a word that is borderline profanity, if not profanity in the Greek language, and he chooses to use that. He's saying he wanted to find the word that is the most powerful word that he could describe the whole concept of our works versus God's righteousness and the grace that he gives us in Jesus. And so he's like, okay, so when I think about all the things that I could stack on, on top of each other and say, God, see, now I'm worthy of your grace. See, God, now I've earned my way to you. When I look at all of that compared to how amazingly loving and grace-filled Jesus is, when I look at both of that, I look at this as, and he says, scubalon. And scubalon is is a bad word. It's a word that, that our, trans, our cowardly trans, translators have translated as rubbish or garbage. But the reality is that it's a word that's between crap and the more profane word for that. And Paul says, I'm going to, I want you to know how bad this is. It's that. All the stuff that I can do and showcase how ama- amazing I am to God, that is that compared to how amazing Jesus is. And yet this is the same guy who says in Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome or rotten words come out of your mouth. And so again, it's greater than even, even the profanity thing. It's something that we understand. Paul is not someone who all throughout the rest of his writings is dropping this word that he chose very poignantly and, and specifically in that setting. You don't see Paul going, ah, man, I was over in Thessalonica and man, that whole town is full of on. He doesn't say that. He's not just like casually dropping it here and there. It was very specific, which... Actually, it leads us in, that, in that, the second part of the verse right there, 1 Corinthians 8. Paul talks about how the thing that is our marching orders isn't this list of do's and don'ts. It's this, it's this amazing higher calling that we have as Christians that we operate on love. Which means that when I'm in a certain setting, I'm going to craft my words carefully for that group because I want to rep Jesus the best I can with them, and I don't want to, I'm not going to rep, there's maybe something that's completely appropriate in this setting, but this group, it's not, and so out of love for them, I'm going to let that love trump my own freedom and my own ability just to say whatever I want to say, and so again, it it comes back to not this, this amazing lists of whatever, but instead this amazing love that we have for one another, There's two types of bummed out Christians when it relates to this. The type of Christian that thinks that they're getting closer to God by not saying bad words um, and hiding any of the gossip that they do. Or it's the person that thinks that they could say whatever they want to say. It doesn't matter because Jesus has saved them and he's done all the work. These two people are really dry as Christians because they've missed the point. The point is love. The point is the fact that Jesus has called us into this new creation he's doing in us and we get to operate as a reflection of who he is, and that comes out in love. And you might say, yeah, but that's, that's nice to say, but there's really no choice that I have. I mean, you even said it yourself when you're in that crazy eco car, and you hit that invisible island, it just came out. You didn't have a choice there. It just happened. Honestly, I, I really believe that, that we have a much more of a choice than we think we do, and it's a conditioned thing, but it, it's over time, and we see it show up, and some of the most un- Unusual places of Christians actually expressing this. And I, we saw it even this past week. When a 21-year-old guy named Dylan Roof enters into a Bible study and sits there and hears the word of God being proclaimed, hears grace being conveyed, and prayers lifted up, and he's surrounded by love and he turns on them and murders nine of them in cold blood. And if there was ever a group of people or a, a person that had every right, and no one would judge this person for having, when given the opportunity to address this 21-year-old person named Dylan, to just let it go and drop every F-bomb profanity or whatever else to, about this person that they wanted to, just to shout them down and tear them apart. It, no one would judge the surviving family members for that. But these people are Christians. And they realize that they have a choice in what they say. And CNN reported that um, the daughter of Ethel Lance said to this 21-year-old murderer who killed her mom, I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people, but God forgives you, and I forgive you. Person after person stood up in front of this, per- this young 21-year-old murderer and said, you have taken the most beautiful person that I knew away from me. But I forgive you. And my encouragement to you is to repent so that you can make things right between you and God. In the streets in front of this church, people we were just crowding around the church with the doors open. The Dale and uh, Chris Lukinich were down there from our church. They were down there in that area, and they go by the church, and the streets are filled with people. Were they shouting? Were they angry? Were they rioting? Were they, were, they, were they wanting to find this guy's family? No, they were singing. What were they singing? They were singing Amazing Grace. These people who had the most heinous thing happen to them, said, that is heinous. We're not going to sugarcoat it. It's awful. But we are actually connected to a bigger story, and that bigger story speaks into us. And so we mourn, and we hurt, and we call ugly, ugly, and sin, sin. But, But at the same time, we have to tell you that we're connected to a bigger story, and that bigger story has grace in it. And we're expressing that to you. Our words need to be an amplifier. Our words need to be chosen. And our words need to be a gardener. They actually do something. Do you realize how important every word that you say to the people that you came into this room with or that you're going home to after this or you're going to work tomorrow with? Your words matter. That they actually could be planted and actually have fruit. Uh, I alluded to the beginning part of this verse which is more the negative but Paul backs it up with the positive. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth. But, and here's the positive, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Only what is helpful for others to build them up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. What if the words that you chose as a representative of Jesus between now and Christmas, what if the words you chose with your spouse, the words you chose with your kid, the words you chose with your parents, the words you chose with your siblings, your coworkers, et cetera, what if those words actually were only what were helpful for building them up according to their needs, not your needs, their needs, that it may benefit them? What would happen? Now it's Father's Day. And again, we all, we all want to honor our dads. Some of you have had, had rough stories with your dads. It's, today's a difficult day. Some of you um, didn't know your fathers. But most of us in here, we, we knew our fathers, or we had, we had enough experience to have maybe a couple positives, maybe some negatives. Um, I ripped this from my brother's uh, Facebook page. This is a picture of my dad, and that's my sister Sarah. The, the Well, it looks like we all have the same haircut, really. <laughs> She's the small one. And then there's my brother Josh, who's right back there, over there here for the weekend, and there I am, um, shirtless. Going topless for the picture. Classy. <laughs> uh, my dad was a guy who, uh, who did not grow up in a family that was bathed in the gospel. My dad actually experienced a whole lot of abuse verbally uh, growing up. His father took every opportunity he could to cuss my dad out. Nothing was good enough for my dad. My dad um, walked out of that and, and became a Christian in the midst of that, and God transformed the way that my dad talked, and, he, and it transformed the way that he parented. My dad, it was not perfect. I mean, my dad, I, I'm walking, and my brother walks, and all of us five kids walk with scars just like you from things that, my dad, that our dads have said. My dad did the same thing. I mean, I, I remember, I remember um, drawing a picture for my dad and bringing it to him and, and showing him, like, Dad, look, look, and my dad looking at it and just going, what is it? beautiful picture i remember drawing pictures at school and someone saying oh you're an artist and running that thing home and showing my dad first and my dad looking at it and saying i don't get it i think it needs more color so i'd run to my room and i would put more color into it i'd bring it back to my dad and my dad would say that's got too much color nothing was good enough i remember when in high school um, i had a teacher say that i should go to art school which i was like i should go to art school so I went home and I told my dad, dad, I think I'm going to go to art school. My dad's like, nah, you're going to starve to death. You'll never make it. But she was probably right. <laughs> but that, man, that was a wound. And I walked with those things. Each of us have that. But here's the amazing thing about life as a Christian. As long as there's breath, there's hope. Just like my dad said, the way Everett McFadden treated me, I'm going to let the, God, the work that Jesus is doing in my life impact the way that I'm going to talk to my kids. I'm going to try to bring it before God and try to do something different than what I did. And he did that. Was he perfect? No. But he did that. As a parent, I want to challenge you. What if you realize that the words you spoke to your kids are like a gardener planting a seed that you're saying, God, I, this, this, isn't, this isn't a silver bullet. This is just a seed. But I'm asking you to do something in the way that this impacts my kid, what if, kids, what if you did something where you actually talked with your parents in such a way that you said, they're probably not even going to think this is important, but I'm going to say this anyway because I'm going to amplify the grace that Jesus has given me to my parents. There was a guy in his 50s in the first service that said, I just re- wrote a four-page letter to my dad apologizing him to, for, for things I did when I was a teenager. Parents. Who have kids that are already left the house, and you feel like, well, I've already made the mistakes. I've already done the wrong things. I, there's no way that I could possibly make things right. No, as long as there's breath, there's hope. Last year, I sold a painting in Morris, and I thought it was a pretty cool deal, but I didn't call and tell my dad about it because I didn't want my dad to say, somebody bought something you did? <laughs> did it have enough color? <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> But I, I, I couldn't handle the rejection of what, you know, what. So I just, I just you know, didn't, I didn't make a big deal about it to my, to my parents. Um, I didn't say anything that big. But then my dad called me. And I had the six minutes, which was six of the best minutes I've ever had with my dad on that phone. My dad said, Errol, I told all those things I used to say to you growing up about you being an artist. I was wrong and I'm so proud of you. I don't even know if my dad saw what I did, but the fact that he said that, I, was, I felt like the music at the end of the movie was coming up, and I was ready to be, I'm like, I can walk away. This is good. Let's come on. Let's never say another word to each other because this is perfect. He, in six minutes, transformed years of pain. You could do that today. May we be the type of people, the type of Christians, who realize that our words need to be used as a a garden, that we have a choice in the matter, and that it amplifies a bigger story that we're a part of, that we get a chance to emulate and, and display for the whole world to see a better picture of Jesus. Amen?